know, there is something about having order, mm-hmm. peace in your finances that that just kind of permeates the rest of your life. Everything. You don't have to stress over this stuff because this stuff is already taken care of. Yeah. And having multiple credit cards can run against that because now you're managing more and you could lose track of something. And if you do, now there's going to be penalties and problems. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so that you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We're your hosts, David Thompson and Leo Sabo, and in today's episode, we're going to answer some common money questions. And I'm really excited about this, Leo, just to dig into some questions that we hear all the time that we've talked to some of our friends about and things that I think are really going to serve the audience well. Yeah, we haven't done one of these in a while. And uh, I think, I, I know I always learn from either asking questions and then trying to find the answer or hearing somebody provide the answer. So hopefully this will be beneficial for all of you that are listening. And maybe you can share that with some of your friends if they're asking these questions of you. I mean, yeah. uh, these are questions that are pretty standard. Some of them we've already addressed, but we, we love to be able to just reinforce some of the things that we think are really standard and basic to good money management. So some of these you'll probably know the answer to. It just means that you are better and more financially educated than most. So let's, let's get started. That's great. So Leo, how much do I need in an emergency fund? Great question. And there are some basic suggestions that that we've talked about, Mm -hmm. but we'd like to go a little bit deeper. So the basic is three to six months of your monthly income. The reason that's important, if your income is disrupted, if you're changing jobs, anything like that, it's going to give you the ability to keep doing what you're doing, stay on your budget, don't throw everything out because you're not in panic mode. You've got complete control. You've got three months of income, potentially up to six months if you do this, and you can take your time, find the next job, replace your income. One other caveat is if you are a self-employed person or mm-hmm. if you work in sales and you're on commission-based, you do want to extend that to at least a year because that's really important. If you have six months to a year, with a job like that, you're not going to be able to just go in and make X amount per month. A lot of these jobs may not have a base, and if they do, it's very small. It's not enough to live on. So you want to make sure you have something that will help carry you through so that even if you have a small income, you'll be able to pull from your savings, get through the first two, three, four months until your income goes back to what you are normally making, and you'll be, you know, you'll be able to fund that back in. But it's really important to have more if you're self-employed because your income isn't, when it's disrupted, it takes longer to build that up to where you had it before. That's right. The general rule of thumb when you're in a career is that for every $10,000 a year of income that you earn, Mm. it should take that many months to find another job. So if you earn $50,000 a year, it may take you five months to find a job. If you earn $100,000 a year, it may take you 10 months to find another job. Mm -hmm. Uh, So even this three to six month range, Leo's saying if you're, you know, a sole proprietor, if you've um, been working in marketing or business that is uh, not just marketing, but sales where you're commission based, you probably need more than just a three to six month emergency fund. And this is why it's so important. We've talked about this in some of our career episodes that you begin networking and building relationship today, mm-hmm. build relationship with the vendors in your industry, build relationship with the competitors in your industry, uh, build relationship with the clients in your industry, be looking for places to serve not only your clients and customers and not only your, your boss or your oversight, 
but build some relationship because if you have good relationships and something goes wrong at your company uh, or there's an issue that you, I mean, a lot of times it's just completely, completely unexpected. It right. catches you off guard. It's what we call it career insurance. And that career insurance is you investing in other relationships in the industry. So um, a lot of this, I believe uh, the general rule of thumb is perfect for that three to six months. And then I just want to say this, there are seasons of life. Uh, if you're listening to Leo and I, and you're first starting out in building a budget and getting out of debt, um, target a $1,000 emergency fund. Mm-hmm. You know, Start with something that you can hit, a solid, simple number, and, and hit that first. And Leo and I would say, if you're in debt and you're you know, budgeting for the first time, start with that $1,000 emergency fund. Yeah. Uh, even, even as you're paying off debt, maybe pay the minimums until you can build that $1,000 emergency fund. Then you know, ramp up your debt paying off a little bit faster. And then Leo and I always teach that you save and you pay off debt at the same time. So you're going to keep saving a little bit by a little bit until maybe you get to that three-month emergency fund mm-hmm. while you're paying off your debt. Right. Then maybe you pay off all of your debt except for the house kind of deal. And then then you go to that three to six-month emergency fund. So um, different seasons, different... Uh, if you're beginning this journey, it's okay to start slow. You don't have to right now today say, oh, I need six months of expenses. Well, mm-hmm. start with a 1000 Then yep. go to three months. Then go to six months. If you're in a volatile industry... Um, I would, I, it would not be unwise to have 12 months of income or at least expenses set aside. I, I've just learned over my lifetime that the, the more I have saved, the better I feel about the future, yeah. uh, the, the less stressed I am. But I think there is wisdom in not putting too much money in an emergency fund because we know that when you have that, it has to be liquid. It's something you, can, you need to get to right away. Right. And if that's the case, you don't want to put it into an investment or a CD or something like that that's kind of locked up. So should you have $100,000 saved in an emergency fund? Well, probably not. Right. Unless, again, you're a business owner and that may be a need for you. But for most of us, if you, if you have that three to six months, what we call bare bones budget, what do you need to survive on? Uh, that's more than adequate. And a couple other things is if you have double income, there's less likelihood that you and your spouse would both lose your jobs. Mm-hmm. So maybe three months is sufficient for you. Yeah. My wife and I have kind of come to that determination after 20 some years of managing money. We're both working. Three months of our income is more than enough for our emergency fund. Now, it's not the only savings we had. So if we needed to access other savings, then we have that ability. So technically, you have more than six months set aside, but it's not earmarked for emergency fund. Yeah, that's a great that's a great insight, Leo. Because um, you know we referenced three to six months, and I don't I don't have the exact number, but I'll say that Ashley and I have landed on about five months hmm. is where we're at, and uh, we have some other savings for other projects and other things we're working on. Right. But um, you know we we didn't have to hit the full six months. Right. Uh, three was a little bit light for us. Um, but then, it, you know, that was based on expenses, not even based on income. Like, mm-hmm. could we live for five months worth of expenses? And that's right. that's where we've settled. And we don't need to keep growing our emergency fund beyond that. Um, but we do save for other, you know, we save for car replacement. We right. save for um, home renovations, things that may come up. You know, so at some point, your fence is going to fall down. Yeah. At some point, you'll need yep. a new roof. At some point, the shed will get a tree that gets blown into it and, you know, there's some damage, whatever, a hot water heater, electricity, AC unit, all that. So, uh, Leo, when I'm thinking through this, I also want to know, like, what expenses do I have coming up in the next two to five years? Because That's you have good. your emergency fund. Right. But then what do you think beyond just the emergency and kind of stability fund savings? 
Yeah, so when I think about emergency fund, that's really just to supplement my budget in case my budget is challenged. Let's say you're saving for medical expenses, and then you find out you need to have a hernia surgery, and it's 3000 out of your pocket. Well, you weren't planning for that, but you're going to have to pay that. So that's where the emergency fund comes in. So it's really just to keep your budget from being wrecked. It supplements your budget. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. It's not for anything else. It's not for buying a car with it. It's not any of that. So then I have to think, well, what do I need to replace in the next two to five years? What other expense outside of my budget that I'm not saving for might happen? So it might be that maybe I want to buy a house for the first time. Well, that's the case. Then maybe I'm going to take the next three years to aggressively save beyond that emergency fund. So now I'm looking at that. It might be education expenses. Maybe your kid is, you know, 15, three years from now, he's going to enter college. Mm -hmm. So those kind of things you really want to add to that savings. But again, I separate them because one is to replace things that are coming in the next two to five years. And then the other is just to help my budget stay on track. That's wonderful. All right. So you heard it here. Uh, the, the correct immediate response to how much do I need for an emergency fund? Uh, shoot for three to six months and then realize there's a few different seasons of life where you may do a few other things. And that's just your stability fund. That's just for emergencies. Don't forget, you've got to save for other things. Yes, <laughs> cool. Right. Let's go to this next question. So the next question is, how many credit cards should I have? Wow, Leo, th this is a philosophical question. It's very practical. Uh, you know, oh, you should have two. Oh, you should have eight. Yeah, like, you, you know, you could throw a random number on it, but um, there's a lot that goes into to the lens of how you make this decision. Mm -hmm. And I will just say there's, there's two major philosophies out there. There's one um, that I pretty much pretty much grew up on in the main, the main phase of my beginning to budget, beginning to um, have a financial life. And that was the idea that you don't have any credit cards. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'll say that Ashley and I, for the first five years of our marriage, we did everything on a debit card. Right. Everything. Um, you know, air, air travel, rental cars, hotels, mm -hmm. gas. Um, and I say everything. We did cash. Right. For yeah, actually, you did the envelope system. yeah, we did the envelope system and we did cash for the most of our spending. And we would go to the bank and take out, I'm trying to think what the, it was at the beginning, like maybe 400 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. And then as our income grew, $600 a month in cash that we'd take out and spend on. And then we had certain things that were just for the debit card. So there's this philosophy on zero credit cards mm -hmm. and you, it's basically bootstrapping, taking care of yourself, you building enough equity, you paying cash for your car, you paying cash for a home, that kind of thing. There's also underwriting that you can do where you can get a home equity uh, or a home mortgage while you have zero credit. Not, not that you have a scale, it's like 350 to 850. You don't have a low credit score. You have a no credit score. Yeah. So this you don't is, exist. You don't <laughs> exist in the credit bureaus because yeah. you've never had a credit card. Right. So that's one philosophy. I will say that there's typically, um, and I don't know what the number is today, but it used to be around 0.25 of a premium, 0.25% of a premium that you would pay in your mortgage interest rate if you didn't have a credit score. Right. Uh, you could do manual underwriting and somebody could manually kind of look at your finances and they would look at your bank account. They would look at your job history. They would look at the fact that you have no credit cards and that you've never been in debt. Mm -hmm. They would look at your savings and they'd say, look, David Thompson, Leo Sabo, they are a good risk because they don't have any debt. They have tons of savings. They have good jobs. I'm going to lend them money for this house. Right. And manually, they would come up with that instead of putting it through a computer that just reads the score. 
That was one system. But in order to have somebody manually do that, they have to think about it. Yeah. You're asking the underwriters to spend time thinking about it. So let's say the, the prevailing interest rate or the normal interest rate was 4%. You may end up paying 4.25%. Right. And um, the philosophy of never having any debt and not playing with debt will probably save you more than that 0.25% oh, yeah. interest over your whole life. Yeah. So that is a valid philosophy, but you have to live that philosophy. Mm-hmm. You have to lock in and say, I am not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to do manual underwriting. I'm not going to have a credit card. I'm not going to have a car loan. I'm not going to have a this. I'm not going to have a that. Um, so that's one philosophy. Uh, now I will say that Ashley and I leaned that direction when we started and I still appreciate and love that philosophy. And now the direction that Ashley and I have have ventured toward is, um, you know, we have a couple credit cards Mm -hmm. that we pay off every month that allows us to build a credit score over time, month to month to month, so that when you go to purchase a home and you get a mortgage, you don't have to pay that little premium. Um, and, And we use it like we did our debit card. We're just, we're so used to using the debit card and cash, uh, and we still use cash and now the credit card. There's a few liability protection pieces that come in with the credit card. Um, they're, they're almost equivalent with the debit card. Very, very close. I would say using a debit card is a very safe way to do it. You just have to make sure you've read the contract, but it's the same way with a credit card. Make sure you understand the basics of the, the contract you're signing, but um, you can do it with a debit card. You can do it with a credit card. We have switched to the credit card method when it comes to how many, um, I don't think that there's a hard and fast rule. Uh, we've got one, we've got two banks, one bank, we kind of have our emergency fund. It's off to the side that we don't look at as often. Mm-hmm. And then we've got our main bank where our main credit card is, but we do have a credit card with that secondary bank right. so that we have two institutions. So that if anything, if one ever shut down or whatever got mad at us for something weird, cause sometimes weird stuff happens. It may not even be our fault. Right. The credit card company may just say, Oh, we're closing down that branch. We're taking your card away. Right. We've got two credit cards. Um, that that is a simple solution. I'm going to say this: if you're really trying to play the credit system game, they're going to want you to have three to five credit cards. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, I'm I don't care to play the game that much. Where I think it's worth the time and energy to mentally track three to five credit cards, and it's not even hard to track those. You just you literally um, put them in a drawer. You never use them, and you and maybe once a year you go in and and swipe it. That way they don't go. The, like they'll over time the credit card company will say, hey, you haven't used our card in three years. We're going to cancel it. Yeah. So you you use it once a year just so they don't cancel at any point in time. It's not hard, but I don't have time for that. Yeah. I'm not. Th- I'm. I'm. Yeah. How is finances? How do I make this the easiest for me? Cash was beautiful for our marriage when we first started. Uh, the debit card was phenomenal for a long time. And then slowly we transitioned to using a credit card. So that's a, okay, that was a long answer to a short question. Uh, Leo, how do you see that? And what would you say is kind of the optimal number of credit cards? Again, I don't think there's an optimal number. I think it is a matter of what can you manage and be complete in control of. Uh, I have a that's friend a great who answer. has... <laughs> Well, I have a friend who has multiple cards. Now, he also runs a business and he has a lot of transactions through those cards. So part of what he's doing is he's using different cards in order to purchase uh, equipment, supplies, those kind of things. Right. And he has taken the time. He's found this to be very valuable for him and his wife, where he's taken the time to take out cards, look at rewards programs, and and play this very difficult game. At yeah. least to me it is. You got to juggle it. But 
he spent four months in Europe last year, and he only paid for 10 nights of actual hotel stay. Mm -hmm. The rest of it was covered with all his points and everything he's earned over the last couple of years. So can you do it? Sure. But I can tell you that it's not as an easy thing to do. And I would say for most people, don't take out a bunch of credit cards and then find it difficult to manage. Because here's the thing, the temptation is there when things get tough to just reach for the credit card and get through the tough time. And so if you're on a budget, you probably won't do that as readily. But if you're not, if you just got a bunch of credit cards out there, our goal for you and our hope for you is that you would be able to be in complete control of your finances. Mm -hmm. So my wife and I used to have 13 credit cards. That's what we started with when this whole mess got our attention. And we cut it all down to one because we had to get back in control. See, I didn't start like David. I didn't say, hey, I'm going to do this the smart way. I was not educated. I made a bunch of mistakes. And because I made those mistakes, I had to pull back and say, okay, let me find a safe way to do this. And we cut all the credit cards up over time. Didn't do it all at once. You don't want to do that. But once we got rid of all of them, all the store credit cards, everything else that we had, we came down to one and we made an agreement because we were trying to get out of debt and we were trying to rebuild our financial life. Mm -hmm. So we stuck with one credit card for about 25 years. And we made an agreement that if we ever cannot pay the whole balance off at the end of the month that we would cut it up and not use it again and not take out another credit card. And then when I started a side business, I didn't want to combine my personal expenses, which were some of them were on the credit card with my business expenses. So that's when I opened up another account. So I have two right now. They're mm -hmm. more than enough. Those are the only two I use and they do both have reward programs. This literally just happened. Once I get as much coin out of one, and I realize if I continue to charge on this card, there's no more benefit to me. Mm -hmm. Then I switch to the other one. And it usually happens about October, November. And so we get a little bit of points on one and more on the other. Again, it's manageable. It's right. Both of these accounts are connected to our budget and it's easy to manage. I think once you get past two or three, that's a lot of transactions you got to keep track of. How long does it take you to update your right. budget? If it takes you five, 10 minutes every day, that's too much. That's too much time. It has to be like for people who do that, and I don't think that they're crazy. People who do that, it has to be like a fun game for them. Yes, that I they enjoy that. doing yeah. as a little bit of a side hobby kind of deal. Yeah. And it's a side it's hobby. Like couponing, that, right? I mean, if you love that, go yes, for it. I don't want to spend the time. <laughs> exactly. It's a so. little bit like extreme couponing. Yeah. That's exactly it. And so they're not crazy. Um, that's a that's a pretty cool way to do it if you love that hobby. I don't love credit cards. I don't love dealing with the credit companies. So I have to you know and um and now as i say that i probably have a third one that i never use mm -hmm. um it's kind of in a drawer somewhere but two that are kind of the main go-tos right. and um and i would just say it do what you can manage i love that you said that leo and and ashley and i we've not ever missed a payment or had to carry a balance because we learned how to do it in cash yeah and when you learn how to do it in cash you typically spend less because it actually hurts a little bit to see that cash go away. Mm -hmm. And so you spend less when you use cash. You learn to use a debit card so you know the money's in the account. Uh, we got to the place using cash and debit cards where we were one month ahead of our money so that at the beginning of March, we would use the money that we had earned in February. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we're in October now. At the beginning of October we would use the money we had earned in September. So we got used to having the money in the bank using the debit card and spending down the money from our previous earning. Right. So we were one month ahead of our money. 
And we do that with our with our credit card. Uh, we're still one month ahead. We spend throughout the month and then we pay it off and we pay it off on time every month. We've got calendar reminders on our calendar. Um, we've got little alerts that go off on our phone. And we don't even typically need those because we have a set time once a month where we sit down and make sure everything is covered in the budget. And we right. do it together. We do it in relationship. We talk. And we've been doing it long enough where it's just, uh, I don't want to say it's fun, but it's certainly not hard. It's yeah. a good conversation yeah. every month that builds yeah. us, builds trust and relationship. And it's cool. Like I, I, I would venture to say it's fun at the risk of sounding like a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You're among friends. You can say it. Uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy that part of it because it gives me a sense of control and a sense of accomplishment. And I hope you feel that as you're managing your money better and better and better, that you feel a sense of control. And, and it's not about being controlling. I'm not talking about that. But you know, there is something about having order, peace mm-hmm. in your finances that that just kind of permeates the rest of your life. Everything. You don't have to stress over this stuff because this stuff is already taken care of. Yeah. And having multiple credit cards can run against that because now you're managing more and you could lose track of something. And if you do, now there's going to be penalties and problems. One other thing I will say is, because uh, you reminded me of this, David, that when you and Ashley started, you started with cash. And then once you really formed the discipline, had the discipline, say, hey, we can incorporate a credit card. It will not hurt us because we're very responsible. We're in control. So adding a credit card to a situation like that is not risky. And again, you have been spending money for years the right way. You're not going to just all of a sudden go Hmm. Throw caution to the wind and go crazy. Right. So that's safe. Another thing, though, is for young people, and sometimes parents will ask this, like, what's the right time? Should I help my kid start with a credit card, my young adult? Uh, should I co-sign for them? How should I do that? And I don't think you need to co-sign for them. I think what you could do, and this is something I did with our daughters, is through our credit union, they had the ability to apply for a credit card. I encourage them to do it. Now, some parents may think, think that's not wise, but I encourage them to do it. Because through the credit union, they only allowed them up to $500. Mm-hmm. I think it started at $200, then it went to $500. And the first year or two, they could only borrow up to $500. Now, they had a budget. They were spending responsibly before that. And then when they incorporated the credit card to help them to just start to build that credit so that the credit history, someday they'll want to buy a house. And that that's going to help. But they never not pay the payment on time or all of it. Like they pay the balance off every time. So that's a that's a safe way to get your kids introduced to a safe and, and wise way to use credit rather than you know letting them get a credit card on their own and then not being able to have that, yeah. that restriction. And when you don't have the restriction, all of a sudden you've got access to $3,000. You can buy a lot of pizza with $3,000. Yeah. So your kids may not have the responsibility and the... You know, they're just... They're not used to it. And, right. and, and when they're thrust into that too much, they may fail. So to prevent that, you can always help them build credit by allowing them to have a credit card, maybe even helping them to get it, but setting a limit so that they can't go over. So if they do make a mistake and go, you know, max it out, well, it's only $500, mm-hmm. right? They might have to sacrifice some video games. And they'll yeah. be able to pay it off, but well, in and, the end, they'll be, they'll be okay. And you want to teach your kids what I talked about at the very beginning, this philosophy is that there's two philosophies and one is to have no credit mm-hmm. and no debt your whole life. And one is to learn the system Yep. And and when I've counseled young married people or people that are about to get married, just young folks that I believe are mature and have the ability to understand the credit system, mm-hmm. I will often 
steer them that direction. But I always lay out both options. Right. And I say, look, I would love, I would love to see you personally never have any debt of any kind. Yeah. I would love to see you have no debt on your car, never, never have a car or a credit card. Uh, I would love to see that. But I know that's a difficult life too. That's a hard road to walk, just mm-hmm. like it's hard to go the other way and manage the system. So I will educate heavily. And I love what you did, Leo. When you start doing that with you know someone who's 18 years old, it starts to build their credit. We know that a length of credit history helps you to have a better credit score. So by the time they're 25, they have seven years of history. And that's a big deal when you go to buy a house to say, look, I've been managing a credit card for seven years. But it's really helpful that you started that process of having them only have $500 as the limit so that there's a lower liability when you're young. The most damage they're going to do to themselves is $500. I love that. Yep, yep. All right, let's tackle one more. Uh, how can I build credit fast? <laughs> <laughs> when I when I hear that term, build credit fast, uh, change your credit immediately, I always think marketing gimmick. Uh, I always think that somebody is trying to sell you something. That's the first thing that comes to my mind is someone's like, how, how do I change my credit score really fast? Or if you see marketing like change your credit score, you know, mm-hmm. buy a house tomorrow. All you have to do is this one simple trick. I just immediately think, Um, somebody's trying to sell me something. So let me just slow you down a little bit. Uh, Yes, you have control over your credit score. You have the ability to impact it, to change it, to grow it, to to put yourself in a really good place with the credit system. Uh, You have the power, you have the ability. So that is true, but it is a system and you need to understand it. And in order to grow your credit score, there are situations where you can fix a few things and it grows really fast. Mm -hmm. But whenever I see somebody marketing, like anybody can change their score fast, what they're actually doing is they're trying to market to those people that have just a few changes that will increase their score, but not everybody has just a few small changes that Mm -hmm. will increase their score fast. Sometimes it just takes time. Uh, You know, if if you have a minimal credit cards, minimal credit mix, sometimes just the length of history, it just takes a little bit of time to grow. So I want to start there. Yeah, and... Just the basics of how a credit score is actually calculated. You have to just realize that the bulk of the information that they look at in order to give you a score, 65% is on-time payments and keeping your credit at a safe level, which is 30% of your available to borrow amount. As long as you're doing those two things, it will build. However, there are a couple of other things that come into play. The type of credit you have, the history, the time that you've been building history and you can't rush that. So there's no way to build credit fast. Um, so if you're starting out, just realize it's going to take time for you to prove yes. that you are a worthwhile investment to a bank, that they can actually take the risk and know that you're going to pay it. You know, the good thing is that most of the time a bank will look at the first two, your credit being managed well. So you're not borrowing more than you can handle. you got a good income level and you can prove that. And then, of course, make an on-time payment. So it's using credit and using it in a way that proves that you're, you're worthwhile, right? That you can manage it uh, well. Those two things will, will go a long way. But sometimes for younger people, like if you're between 18 and 22, you're probably not going to get a great score until you get into your mid-20s to late-20s. And that doesn't mean you can't buy a house and you can't buy things. Just recognize that it, it just doesn't happen fast. That's right. And that's actually a good thing. If you were able to build your credit fast, you'd probably jump right in and make some big financial mistakes without the maturity to handle it. 
So it's kind of built in. I mean, yep. we talked about the love-hate relationship with a credit score, but some of the things that are built into helping you to have a good score is that there is a time factor. There are factors in there that says, hey, this is about keeping you safe. So we're going to limit your score if you're not doing things right, and, and then we'll reward it when you're doing things right. So it's just part of the system, but it's going to take time. There's no fast way to do it. That's if right. somebody tells you they can do it, be leery. Yeah, be yeah, be aware. Uh, I will say here is here is the fastest way to improve your credit score. But I'm not saying it will be fast. Mm-hmm. But here's the fastest way: um, if you have outstanding debts, pay them off. Mm. Uh, pay on time every month, and the sooner you can pay off a debt, the better. Uh, and then in total, if you have if you're using more than thirty percent of all your debt, it's called your credit utilization. Let's say you have access to ten thousand dollars of debt, and you're using three thousand, uh, you don't want to use more than three thousand. Mm-hmm. So if you're using five thousand and you start to pay it down to where you only owe three thousand or less than three thousand, that will improve your score. Paying on time will improve your score. Uh, I would say if you're wanting to use your score, don't open up any new credit right away um, because that will slow you down because it'll actually lower your score for a little bit. But if long-term you want to grow your score, having a few more forms of credit, another credit card or another type of revolving debt um, will improve your score over the long-term. But the two fastest ways, although they're not always fast, is just to pay your debt off. That's, That's the win. That's and, and then keep that card open or keep that you know loan open where you don't utilize it, but it just stays at a zero balance. And every month that counts is paid in full. That's a win for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode. We hope it has been helpful for you. And if it has, would you do us a huge favor and just subscribe to our podcast? You can do it on your Apple a podcast or course on your android device as well there are multiple apps out there that you can do this through and and uh, if you do so it will help us just get the word out that getting money right is out there and more and more people will find it and benefit from it so also take the time if you haven't yet to review and to rate our podcast you can do so probably on apple is the best because that's where the ratings usually are are everybody goes to so that would be great if you can do that Uh, We've had a lot of you do that, but recently it's kind of stalled out. We'd love to see new people who are getting this information go on there and continue to uh, post those reviews and those ratings. Thank you for doing that. To gain access to this podcast show notes, financial tools, other relevant content, please visit leosabo.com where you'll find me and everything I'm up to. And I'd love to serve you. So go on there and you can find out more about what I'm doing. David, Where can people go to find out what you're doing? Yeah, come over to stewardshippastors.com and check out the book, Jesus on Money. And you can follow me more and find more tools and resources there at stewardshippastors.com. And again, there's a link there called with the book, Jesus on Money. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to having you join us next time so that together we We can can keep keep getting getting money money right. really helpful that you started that process of having them only have $500 as the limit so that there's a lower liability when you're young. The most damage they're going to do to themselves is $500. I love that.